Hello, and welcome to Firewell Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewell. Firewell family, August 27th, stick around after church as we celebrate baptisms outside and stay for hamburgers and hot dogs as we kick off our fall activities. Bring a side or dessert to share. Sign up in the lobby. If you're interested in being baptized, please fill out the form on the event page of the Wednesday nights at Firewheel begins again on September 13th and is packed with activities for all ages. Men and women's Bible studies and kids and youth ministries. Join us as we grow together in our relationship with Christ. Firewheel Youth, come join us for the Warriors Gaming Event at Farm Plus Feed on August 26th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m where you can hang out and play video games with friends for free. Lunch will be provided, during which a short devotional will take place, followed by a fun tournament with prizes. Sign up in the event on the website. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events, or you can find us on social media. Good morning, Fire Wheel.
So now go find three or four people and tell him how holy he really is. Good morning, Firewheel. You guys can make it back to your seats. How are you this morning? You guys happy to be at church this morning? So this is Acoustic Sunday. Um, if you guys don't know me, my name is Chris. 
I am the worship pastor here at Firewheel. Um, if this is your first time here at Firewheel, welcome. There's three things you're going to get from this morning. So first of all, we're going to worship God. You guys okay with that? All right. Second of all, we're going to give God the reverence he deserves by praying to him and giving him what he deserves. That's why we're here. And then third of all, we are going to learn from God's word. You guys okay with that? Okay. So I was reading this story this week, um, and there's this girl. Her name was Ava. And this girl, Ava, um, she was, her mom, she was always embarrassed to be seen with her mom, right? She was, you know, her mom had this giant scar across her face. And across her face, and so one day she, she asked her daughter, she said, why in the world won't you invite me around your friends, family? Why won't you go out to eat with me? And she goes, well, mom, it's, it's that giant scar you have across your face. She's like, I don't want to be seen with you. And the mom was like, are you serious? <laughs> What's going on? And so the mom, she sits the daughter down, and she said, let me tell you a story. She said, one time I was outside, and I was, I was getting water from the well, and I look back, and the whole house is on fire. I look back, so I run inside, I go inside, and you're in the crib, and you're on fire. So I put you out, I grab you, and run out of the house, and all of a sudden, on our way out, this beam falls, and it hits me in the face. That's why I have this scar. So next time you decide not to invite somebody over here, or not hang out with me, or not to go out to eat with me, remember, I got this scar because of you. Who else has scars? Jesus. Jesus has scars in his hands. Jesus has scars in his feet. Jesus has this massive scar on the side of his body, right? So next time that we decide we don't want to be disciples, we have to remember those scars and why he gave them to us, right? He gave us those scars, or he has those scars, because he does not want us to spend eternity in hell. Amen? So next time we decide we don't want to be disciples of Christ, I would ask that you remember those scars, Next time you decide not to tell somebody about Jesus, let's remember those scars. You guys okay with that? This morning as we worship, I want you to think about those scars. Something God laid on my heart this morning is sometimes we come in here and we worship, and we just forget about that concept that he died a horrible death for us. Bad. So bad. And sometimes we willy-nilly walk in here, we worship, and we just do our thing. God is good because of that. So this next song that we're doing is Good, Good Father. Sing it with us. Never alone 
your good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide but i know we're all searching for answers only you provide us you know just what we need before we say a word you're good good father it's who you are it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, your good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am, it's who I am, yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways, yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways, you are perfect in all of your ways to us, yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Oh, this love so
Yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways. So perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Yeah, you're perfect in all of your ways. So perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to Father, we thank you for this morning. God, you are good. You are so good to each one of us, God. Man, help us to just worship you this morning. Give us a heart of worship. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. We know that you're here. God, help us to just give you the reverence you deserve this morning. We love you, and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.
I got to pull it up on my phone. I'm not that good with notes. My bad. Um, 
So those of you that do not know me, my name is Stephen Conley. I am right over there in the youth building. I help out with the youth, um, teaching on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, don't, it's, it's not me that does it. It's the Holy Spirit, all right? So, um, so today we'll be talking about communion, right? So we're about to enter into a holy time of connection and unity, not, between, not only between us and Christ, but with every single believer around the world that is currently doing communion right now, right? There's millions and millions and millions of other Christians also doing communion. All right, so we're going to be in for, oh my gosh, that is way too small. All right, I'm going to leave it on my phone. All right. So Now, if you can see what I see, I, I can't see anything, right? Maybe I need glasses. I don't know, I don't know, right? But First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Persian should examine himself, and in this way, let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. So I included the last two verses. Typically, you don't see verses 27 and 28 for a reason, right? So Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, there were some wealthy Christians and some poor Christians, and they weren't sharing food, and there was all this problem. But there's also a specific um, example for us to glean from as well, right? And it's the heart condition that we go and approach communion in, right? So communion is a very sacred act. And therefore, we should approach it in a sacred manner. And oftentimes, you know, every single Sunday, right, we're one of the only non-Catholic churches that does this, right? And it is amazing. But whenever you do something over and over again, it it can become repetitious, right? And it can become ordinary, right? And Jesus isn't ordinary. What he did on the cross is everything, right? Everything. Our life and our breath and until our death and we get to be with the resurrected Lord and Savior in heaven, right? That is everything, but, but whenever we don't do it in an unworthy manner, right, I have some examples, um, some uh, examples, unconfessed sin, right, whenever we allow unconfessed sin to harbor in our hearts, um, division among the church, right, disunity, hatred, right, these are some things that can allow us to partake in the Lord's bread in an unworthy manner, but don't get it twisted, right, so there's nothing that we can do that can make us worthy of the Lord's supper, right, it's the, the shed blood of Jesus that does that but it can allow us to dishonor the memory, right? Remember, remembrance of what Jesus did. So um, I have six directions to look during the Lord's Supper. Um, I didn't come up with this. I'm not that smart. But number one, look within, right? So that's looking within yourself. Look back, remembering what Jesus did on the cross. What exactly does that mean? Looking up, right? So the unity that we now have with Christ. Look around. So sometimes it's really easy to forget the Lord's Supper is a community thing, right? Communion, community, right? It's something that we do together as one body of believers. Look outward, right? So we're looking outward. So proclaiming the Lord's death, right? There is an evangelical part to communion. There's an evangelical part of communion. Number six, look forward, right? To what the supper that we will share with Jesus in heaven, right? The Lord's supper. All right, so let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you for this day and all that you do and just allowing us to approach the cross and utmost humility and recognition that you did for us what we can never do for ourselves, dying on the cross, taking our sin, and then giving us life. I pray that we wouldn't squander that life, 
but would use it to give you glory. And as we approach these tables, I pray that we take that closely into our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so on the sides, right, six tables, two in the front, four on each, or two on each side, so go and partake in communion now. Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be with you on this Lord's Day. Every Sunday is an awesome opportunity and a sacred opportunity that we have to join together as the people of God. Amen? And I hope that you don't take that for granted. I know that sometimes I can, and uh, I am really glad to be here with you all today. 
If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the transitional pastor here at Firewall Bible Fellowship. We are glad that you are here today. Those of you who are joining us online, welcome. And we are looking forward to getting into God's Word. Y'all excited to get into God's Word today? So we started a series last week where we are talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend a lot of time camping out on this kind of, we're building a theology of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do so over the next number of weeks. And last week we started by, we had to start with the question of who is the Holy Spirit? We had to start with the question of who before you could look at what. We often like to jump to what, is what does the Holy Spirit do? But in order to answer that question, we had to start with asking who is he? And as we approached that question, we looked at that conversation from two angles. Number one is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. He has certain characteristics of personhood that make him, that we can relate to him, we can know him. Just like you are a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. But then we also saw that the Holy Spirit is God. He is one member of the Trinity, one divine essence, three persons, as we say in Trinitarian theology. One divine essence or nature, three distinct persons, okay? We looked at and we started this conversation because we said that for some people the Holy Spirit is more akin to the force in Star Wars. We believe that he's a power that people who are really special like Jedi Christians can be able to wield. And they can force wield him unlike the other ones and there are some dark magic stuff that people try to do. We can call them the Siths or whatever. But then we got these Jedi Knights who then basically yield the force and we can laugh about that tongue-in-cheek, but honestly, most people believe, and I showed you a statistic from the state of theology, they believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and he's not a person. Or for others, we liken the Holy Spirit maybe to Casper the Friendly Ghost. We like to have him around. We believe that he likes to hang around Christians, and he's, we don't, just don't know what to do with him. I mean, so like, what are we going to do with this Holy Ghost, depending upon what tradition you grew up, maybe you called him the Holy Ghost. So if the Holy Ghost is around and we kind of want him to be around and we think as Christians we know that the Bible kind of talks about him, he probably should be around. We at least say it when we're baptizing people. So what do we do with this Holy Ghost? But we believe we should keep him around. So our one true statement was this. If we do not know who the Holy Spirit is, then we do not know God. If we do not know who the Holy Spirit is, then we do not know God. Because we know that he is a person, but that he is also God. So we started the conversation with the question of who and answered that. At least we, as much more in depth we can go, but we, we're going to stop there. Now we're going to transition. Basically the rest of this series is going to look at the question of what. Now that we've established and laid the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is, we are now going to look at what does the Holy Spirit actually do. So in theology, we often call this the person. So that's what we did last week. We talked about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to start talking about over the next number of weeks. What does the Holy Spirit actually do in the life of the believer and outside of the life of the believer? And where better to start than talking about salvation? What role does the Holy Spirit play in salvation is what we're going to focus on this morning. But let me start with a story. So a young boy was at Disneyland enjoying Mickey Mouse. Donald Duck, the rides, the popcorn, the fanfare. 
and he didn't notice that he had become separated from his parents. Any parents, you know, this is like a worse, a parent's worst nightmare, right? That you'd be in a massive public place with all these people, then all of a sudden your kid wanders off, right? He was enjoying the hustle and bustle of Disney life until he looked up and discovered that his parents were not there. Once the boy discovered that he was not in fellowship with his parents anymore, Disneyland, the most magical place on earth, turned into a Disney disaster. All of a sudden, the cotton candy wasn't sweet. The rides were not fun. Mickey Mouse was no longer cute because mom and dad were nowhere to be found. Let's make a spiritual connection. This is the great tragedy of our world. People are so busy enjoying the rides, the thrills, the bright lights, they haven't even noticed that they have wandered away and they're not in fellowship with God. They realize they've, they've neglected the idea that they are actually disconnected from this God. Just like the young boy at Disneyland had to come to grips with two realities. First, that he was lost. And second, that he needs someone to bring him back to his parents. It's the same for us in our case. The Bible is very, very clear that every person prior to placing their faith in Jesus is lost. That's the word that is typically used, the imagery that is used. They are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. As a matter of fact, to go even further, remember when we did our series on the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, not only are we lost, but we are dead. We are dead in our trespass, sin, and sin, according to Ephesians 2. So every person prior to placing their faith in Jesus is both lost and dead. Enter in the Holy Spirit, who is the one who convicts those people who are lost in their sin, brings them to Jesus, saves them, and literally resurrects them. The Holy Spirit is the one. Jesus does the work in making salvation possible through the sacrifice that we just celebrated in communion. The Holy Spirit is the one who appropriates that salvation to the life of an individual. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings faith. The Holy Spirit's the one who brings conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one that once faith is active and trust is put in the person and work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that dead soul to life. We call that regeneration. He converts the soul. He regenerates us. He brings that which is dead back to life, as only God can do. We need to know the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, and that will be our focus today. So here's our one true statement for today. It's only the Holy Spirit can convict the world of sin. This is really important. And I hope that this is freeing for you also, those of you who are Christians, by the time we work through this text this morning, but only the Holy Spirit can convict the world of sin. If you have your Bible you want to open up, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 16 today. And I remember I told you last week, if you were here, to read John chapter 14 and read John chapter 16, two of the most important sections of Scripture talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to camp in John 16 in three specific verses. John chapter 16, starting at verse 8, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 this morning. And we're going to see three areas where the Holy Spirit convicts. Three realms, so to speak, in which he convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we're going to talk about what all those three terms mean. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So in John chapter 16, we still find ourselves in the last 24 hours, essentially, before Jesus' uh, crucifixion, where he's giving his final teachings to his disciples. This is very much connected to John 14, which we looked at last week quite a bit. He's still in the middle of this whole entire thing where he's given his last instruction to his disciples. And so as we pick up in verse 8, we're going to look at the beginning part of it. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he convicts the world of sin. Look at the beginning of verse 8 and verse 9. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin. Why? Look at verse 9. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's the reason. Why is he convicting them of sin? Because specifically in this case in relationship to unbelief. Convicting the world because they do not know him. What does it mean to convict? To convict means to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing. It's a legal term. There's lots of legal language in this actual passage. It's a legal term that carries the idea of not, showing some, not only showing somebody their sin or their wrongdoing, but calling them to respond in light of their wrongdoing. It's calling them to action in light of what they have done once they know what they have done is wrong. That's what it means to convict in this context. So... The Holy Spirit is playing this role. He is convicting specifically the world concerning their sin. So the Holy Spirit is the one who exposes sin, makes it abundantly clear for our need of a Savior, and he calls us to make a decision in light of that reality. I always say this, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of his death, burial, and resurrection, and the salvation in which he provides, the person and work of Jesus, when we think of the gospel, that is good news, right? We call it good news. Well, that good news demands a response. When the gospel is presented in that way, it demands a response. Either you will accept the gospel or you will reject it. But there is no saying you haven't heard it. There is no way of basically saying that I'm not going to do anything. In, if not doing anything is doing something. You're rejecting the message whether you do it actively or you do it passively. The gospel, the truth of God as he reveals himself demands that we respond. And we will respond in a way that is either passive or actively against him or we will receive it by grace, through faith, by the power of the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are here today and you are a believer, I want you to hear this as clearly as I possibly could articulate it. There is no matter of preaching, pleading, pointing fingers that will bring about the conviction of sin in the life of an individual. You cannot play the Holy Spirit in, the person's, in a person's life. You can't do it. You can't say, well, they should know better. You can't do that. That's not your job. Your job as a believer is, yes, to share the gospel, but God is the one who does and wills and acts according to his word. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes the scales off the eyes that we no longer see just through a glass dimly and we're able to see the beauty of what Jesus did and behold the gospel. You cannot do that for another person as much as you want to. And as a believer, your heart should want to. Sometimes we just see people and we see them, they're so lost, right? 
We see people we know in our families and they're so, their actions, their attitudes are just bringing nothing but destruction in their lives. And all you can do is like you're begging. You want to do something, but you can't. That's only something he can do. We can't make people believe. You can articulate the greatest gospel message ever heard. You can make Billy Graham's presentation of the gospel look bad. It doesn't matter. You still cannot go internally into a person, change their hardwiring, and bring that which is dead to life. You and I do not have the ability to do that. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict the sinner. It is the Holy Spirit's job to be at work in the sinner's heart. When he says he convicts the world concerning sin, what does he mean? The world refers to people, refers to this system that is a, a, a thought and action that is not godly. And it refers to specifically in this context, people who have not placed their faith in Jesus, those who are outside, so to speak. And it's, it's blanketing that statement without distinction. That was you and I. That was you and I. If you are here today and you are a believer, you should thank God every day. Because before you came to know Jesus, that was exactly you. You were, until the Holy Spirit came and brought about his conviction, until those things started happening in your life and you placed your faith in Jesus, you were convicted according to the fact that you didn't believe. The Holy Spirit is the one who showed us our need for a Savior. Let me interject something here real quick that I'm going to give you an image we're going to use throughout the rest of the sermon. Let me say this. There's something to be said. Remember, let's read, let's, let's put our Bible thinking caps on and we're, let's read uh, with, let's actually read the text and, and understand the text. The text says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. We already talked about the world and who those people are. But this is really important for us to understand. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of sin in the same manner that he convicts the world of sin. Because some people say, well, is the Holy Spirit's role, if he convicts and brings to salvation, is his role still in the life of the believer to convict us of sin? I would say it in this way. We are told that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He is the teacher. He doesn't convict us in manner in relation to salvation as if somehow we can lose our salvation. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you could lose your salvation, you would. It's as plain and simple as that. Seriously, I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek, but if you could lose your salvation, you would. Okay? But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict us in manners to salvation, but he does lead us into all truth. So our sin is exposed in light of God's truth. So as a believer, what the Holy Spirit does is he illuminates. We're going to talk about this, I think, next week. We're going to talk about his role as illuminating to us. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. He illuminates. He continues on the teachings of Jesus in that way. He affirms that stuff in our hearts. So as he illuminates the word to us, as we learn, we are convicted of our sin because we are then presented with the truth and reality of God's word. So as a believer, the Holy Spirit still does convict us of sin in a, in a different way, but it's not in relationship to salvation. Here, he's specifically talking about salvation. So I want you to picture a courtroom for a moment. So 
the three areas that he's going to talk about, John, represent three different aspects to me of like a court case. The first thing he talks about is that we are being convicted of, the, the world is convicted because they did not know Jesus, they're convicted concerning sin. That is the why. The reason you go to court is because there's been a charge put against you. Something has been brought against you that you have broken the law in some way. So you, there's a charge, there's the reason why that brings you into the courtroom for you to appear in court. We as humanity have all been come before the courtroom of God, so to speak, if we could picture a court in God's heavenly courtroom, and the reason why we are there is because of sin. Sin is the very reason why we need a savior. The reason why Jesus had to die was because of sin. Sin is what brings us in. It shows our need, it's the why. And the basic charge that's being levied here that John is talking about, that's specifically coming from the words of Jesus, he's saying that the overall charge here is that the world doesn't know Jesus. They're rejecting him because of unbelief. Before we came to know him, we rejected him in unbelief. It's exactly what we did. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is, is that in our world, we like to measure ourselves against different standards. If you go ahead and you ask the average person who doesn't even go to church or doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, if you were to go out there on the street and ask them today, hey, do you think that when this life ends, if you, do you, number one, do you even believe that there's an eternity that exists or some type of life after this? If you do, do you believe you'll be in a good place? Do you believe that you'll be in heaven? Well, some people will likely say, well, yeah, I believe so. I'm a good person. I believe my good works outweigh my bad works. I pay my taxes. You know, I vote. I do all this stuff. They'll list you a laundry list of things. The reason why is because we measure ourselves against the wrong standard. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Against God's standard, we all fall short. And sin is any attitude or action that goes against God's holy character and law. It isn't until we acknowledge our sin are we then fit to even be able to be saved. We have to come humbly. We have to eat our humble pie, so to speak. The Holy Spirit may be working, but we have to respond to the leaning and the prompting of the Holy Spirit as he brings the conviction of sin. And we have to come desperately before Jesus and say, I come and I recognize my utter need for a Savior. And that's something only the Holy Spirit can do. But the second thing is he convicts the world concerning righteousness. Look at the middle part of verse 8 and then look at verse 10. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Why? What's righteousness? Uh, verse 10. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Righteousness is the standard that we are expected to conform to. Let me give you an example. If we break the law in the state of Texas, if we sin against the state of Texas, so to speak, the action and motive behind our actions and we do something that breaks the law, righteousness then is the law. It's the state of Texas in the United States is the standard by which our action is measured. So here is Jesus about to die soon. He will no longer be present with them on earth. To demonstrate his righteousness now is the job of the Holy Spirit to convince people that Jesus is the only one who measured up to God's standard. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. 
Now that Jesus is about to actually perform the action that brings about salvation, the Holy Spirit's job now is to say, Jesus is the only one who can meet that standard. So when the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, what does he do? He shows us we don't meet that standard. We don't measure up in righteousness. We don't measure up to God's perfection. We are unholy people who serve a holy God. And the only way that we can be in relationship with that God is because there is one who met the standard, who shows us the way. We ride in on his coattails and we say, we're holding on to him. And since we're holding on to him, then that's the way and that's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you aren't good enough. You don't measure up to the standard. You don't measure up to God's perfection. But there was one who sacrificed himself so that way you can be now, you can receive his righteousness because he met up to the standard. And so because of that, you hold on to him and now you are declared to be righteous. Romans 4, 5 says this, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, the work of Jesus, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. So we believe in the one who justifies the ungodly. And by faith we are counted as righteous. At the very moment a sinner puts his trust in Christ, his sin charge is charged to Christ's account, and we in Christ's righteousness is then given to the sinner, and so we now become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what scripture says. What a beautiful reality. We call it the divine exchange. That's what happens. The exchange of our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, our inability, our, sinful, our sinfulness, all of that traded, placed upon the perfect lamb, his, that perfect sacrifice. And as he took that upon himself, now his perfect righteousness is credited to our account. What a beautiful reality that happens. Righteousness is the standard. Righteousness is the standard. Sin is the charge that brings us into the courtroom. It's the why. Righteousness is the standard that we're expected to conform to. And then lastly, judgment is the verdict. Look at verse, the end of verse 8 and verse 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The verdict, the final piece of a court case. Here Jesus is talking about the ruler of the world, Satan, who's already been judged and will be judged fully at the cross. But as Jesus is speaking, he's speaking as if something has already happened that will transpire about 24 hours from now. Satan's already been defeated. The end has already been written. And so here Jesus is going to enact his final action before his resurrection. He's going to actually do the act to save the world. So the world, the unbelievers, and their ruler, Satan, stand guilty before a holy God. These are not things we like to talk about. We don't, lock, we don't like to talk about the reality of judgment. We don't like to talk about the idea that there are believers and unbelievers. We don't like to talk about the, the thought that those who reject Jesus that their eternity is certain 
if God does not do a supernatural work in their life. But he convicts the world concerning judgment because that world's ruler has already been judged. So that world's ruler, Satan, and all of his minions, and all the people who walked in unbelief, and those who actively rejected God, they fall in line and they are following their ruler. They're not following the ruler, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the judgment stands and guilty is the verdict. But the only way that you and I do not hear guilty before a holy God is because of the work of Jesus. And Jesus stands in our place and Jesus enters in to the courtroom and he says, I will take the punishment that we are acquitted of all charges. That we no longer stand under judgment. This is where the church comes in, ladies and gentlemen. The church, you and I, believers, all joined together all across this world. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell the world about the good news of Jesus. And the reason why we tell them about the good news of Jesus is 2 Corinthians tells us our message is a message of reconciliation. We tell them be reconciled to God. We point them right back to God. We say, hey, you may not know this, but there is a God who loves you, who died and for your sins, and you may not even understand what that is, but there is a, a standard to which you cannot measure. And we are pointing you right back to the source, and we're saying that you need to be reconciled to this God in order to have a relationship with him, to have any hope of eternal life. So we point them back, and we say be reconciled to God, but all we do is plead. The Holy Spirit does the underlying work. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are truly dead in our trespass and sin before we come to know Jesus, then you've heard me say this before, dead people don't come alive unless Jesus is around. So those who are dead will not come to life. Those who are dead will not be able to respond in faith. Dead people don't respond. A dead person is not going to respond in faith until the Holy Spirit does something to basically start to awaken and make that soul alive to deposit faith within that person's heart so then that person can respond and believe. And at that moment, we call that conversion. Conversion happens, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But then what happens is something unique and supernatural. We call it regeneration. That's when the dead come to life. And the dead come to life because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And as the work of the Holy Spirit does his work, God's life is infused into us. Then the Holy Spirit takes residence within us. And then now God is with us. And that only happens, that's supernatural. That's not something you can manufacture. That's not something I can preach down from heaven. That's not something I can do, you can do. That is only a supernatural work of God. Only God can do that. You and I can't do that. There is nothing, nothing more supernatural and more incredible than the work of salvation. If you ever question the reality of whether you believe miracles happen today, then just look at people who are getting saved. It's the greatest miracle to take place. Who cares if a limb grows? Who cares if a body is healed? When you're talking about something that which was dead literally comes to life and now has eternal life, that's eternal impact, 
That is something miraculous, and that is something we get excited about. That's why the angels in heavens rejoice. That's why we rejoice when sinners come to repentance, because we know it's a supernatural work. It's not something we can do. Summing it up this way, it has become evident that through the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit helps the church, he empowers the church, and he does so by bringing about conviction through the word of God. The Holy Spirit does that work, and that's what he does. So let's summarize this for you, and we'll close. Our one true statement was this, that only the Holy Spirit can convict the world of sin. And we looked at this in the context of basically think about a courtroom. So there's three things he convicts the world concerning. Number one, sin. Sin is the charge. Sin is the reason why we need salvation. Sin is what separates us from God. So that's the charge that is brought. Righteousness is the standard which we are expected to live to, except there's a problem. You and I are not righteous. Our righteousness, Scripture says, is like filthy rags. We are not righteous people. And so because we are not righteous, we depend upon someone else's righteousness, and that righteousness is then credited to our account, which then makes us righteous. We have borrowed righteousness. That's what you and I have. We have borrowed righteousness. But thank God that when Christ, when we receive his righteousness, when the Holy Spirit saves us, we are now, that's credited to our account. God never takes it back. He doesn't take it back. And then lastly, judgment. That's the verdict. All the world of unbelievers and their ruler, Satan, stand guilty before a holy God. And the only way our case can be dismissed is by faith in Jesus. And it's done through the supernatural work of the Spirit. And that's when he says, not guilty. Your sins are forgiven. So how can we put this into practice? If you're here today and you're a believer, there's two things I want you to think about. Number one is that realize that you cannot convict the world of sin. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you and even so strongly say that the Apostle Paul tells us that we cannot expect the world, we can expect those who don't know Jesus to live to a standard of righteousness. So he basically encourages and he tells the he tells um, the, his readers, why are you trying to basically bring conviction to the world? You're expecting dead people to act as if they're alive. You can't do that. So what we need to do is we need to be diligent in prayer, and we need to be diligent that we listen to the work of the Spirit in our heart when he opens up those conversations when you know the Spirit is moving. You ever had an opportunity like that? You've been praying for an individual, then all of a sudden the conversation just falls into your lap. You're just sitting across from them and they're sharing something with you and then all of a sudden they're asking you something and it's like this bright light is going on in your head saying, this is the time, this is the time, this is the time. Sometimes I think we force feed things. But you and I can't convict the world of sin. But I would encourage you in this way as well. If you're a believer here today, you should be thankful and grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That he saved you. I would encourage you to go back just even in your prayers this week and just say thank you for making that which was dead and bringing it to life, for convicting me of sin and showing me that I desperately needed a Savior and thanking him for his work. And if you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then you can't walk away from this place and say that you have not heard the gospel. There is a God who is in heaven who looked down upon his, 
most highest creation of humanity and saw that they were lost. And so he didn't just stay up there. He decided to make a plan to enact for man and God to be reconciled together. So Jesus came to this earth in form of man, died upon a cross, was buried and rose again to pay the price for our sins. So that way his perfect living to that standard, that perfect righteousness can then be credited to the account of those of us who are broken and desperately in need of it and recognize we are not righteous people. And that by faith, when we place our trust in Jesus, then we come to know him and we are saved. And I pray that you don't walk out of this place today without responding to, today is the day of salvation. God is presenting it to you, and I pray that the Holy Spirit is doing the work in your heart. One other thing I want to say that I, didn't, I meant to put on this slide that I didn't put on this slide is one thing we're going to do is we're going to be doing this series for a while, and I'd love to get some of your questions. I'm going to create a digital form, but I would like you, uh, even if you think and you don't want to fill it out digitally, I'd love for you to submit any questions that you have about the Holy Spirit, because I'm willing to bet that some of them will be addressed during this series, but I'd like to address some of those questions publicly. So uh, if you have any questions regarding the Holy Spirit that you've ever thought about, I want you to write them down, okay, hold them, and I want you to give them to me. And I, and I will say this, that some of your questions may be answered in this series, and some of them I may deliberately bring up, okay? And so I'd love to be able to interact in that way. So this week, I'm going to create a digital form with a QR code where you can fill it out digitally. But just think about that. Start writing down your questions and thinking about those. And then I'd like to, when we're at the end and we recap, when we finish off this series, that we'll bring those questions to light and we'll answer some of your questions. Sound good? All right, let's pray. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you are our all in all. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the saving one. You're the one who convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. You're the one who brings to life that which is dead. You're the one who deposits faith into our hearts to even believe, to start that process. And I thank you that you are the one who saves, that it's not something we can do. So Holy Spirit, I pray that even right now, that those who may be in this place who do not know Jesus, I pray that you will start working in their hearts even right now. But above all, Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that his perfect work, his righteousness can now be credited to our account. And I'm so grateful that, that the Holy Spirit now resides within us, that God is with us in that way. Just like Jesus was with his disciples, we have the comforter who is with us. What a beautiful reality. So may you be glorified and honored in this place. It's in the most precious and holy name of Jesus we could pray, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward, and we're going to have an opportunity for prayer and worship, as we do every Sunday, to respond to what we have just heard. If you need prayer for anything, please give us an opportunity to be able to pray with you. I'm going to ask you all to stand and let's go ahead and spend some time in worship. From the highest of mountains. To the depths of the sea 
from the planets in motion to the breath that we breathe from the womb of the barren to the rich and the poor Every heartbeat is yours. Come on, fire
seated. We're going to worship the Lord through giving. We thank you for your gracious giving. If it's your first time here at Firewall, we're really glad that you took some time to worship with us today. I'd love for you to be able to visit the Connection Center as you exit the auditorium today. One of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us. And just see if maybe there's any questions they can answer about Firewall, tell you about some of the stuff going on here and see how we can serve you and your family. And so we believe that you find a good Bible-believing, preaching, teaching church here, and uh, we'd love to see if this would be a place that God would call you to. And so we'd love to have a conversation about that. So every Sunday we have the opportunity to worship the Lord through giving, and uh, this is an act of worship as every aspect of what we do. We, you read the scriptures, they brought tithes, they brought offerings to the storehouse of God, to the temple, that the work of the ministry would continue on. And we continue that as well today. So let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to give. We recognize that everything comes from you and that you truly are a source for all. You are so good to us, so I pray that you will bless the gift and the giver. Cause this to multiply, Lord, and allow us to use it for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, and welcome to Firewell Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewell. Firewheel family, August 27th, stick around after church as we celebrate baptisms outside and stay for hamburgers and hot dogs as we kick off our fall activities. Bring a side or dessert to share. Sign up in the lobby. If you're interested in being baptized, please fill out the form on the event page of the... Wednesday nights at Firewheel begins again on September 13th and is packed with activities for all ages men and women's Bible studies, and kids and youth ministries. Join us as we grow together in our relationship with Christ. Firewheel Youth, come join us for the Warriors Gaming Event at Farm Plus Feed on August 26th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., where you can hang out and play video games with friends for free. Lunch will be provided, during which a short devotional will take place, followed by a fun tournament with prizes. Sign up in the event on the website. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com slash events, or you can find us on social media. If you'll stand, we'll go ahead and pray our benediction. And uh, the August 27th thing, if you are interested in getting baptized, you can fill out the form online or there are physical forms 
uh, in the lobby as well. And so, and then we need y'all to sign up to bring dessert because we are providing all the meat and stuff and we need y'all to bring some sides and some dessert, so please sign up for that. Now may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you and may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. We'll see you next week as we continue on. Mm. Mm.